Also, I should add that you're wearing a pretty nice shirt there yourself, Mr. Shaw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this little thing. Yeah. I wonder where yeah. anyone could find that shirt if they wanted one just like I it. I know. I know. Uh, they could probably go to superduperstitious.com slash shop. Yeah. If they want a shirt and like mine, they have to wait till you outgrow it and hand yes, it down to yes. them. Yes, <laughs> they have to first become an extremely good friend of mine. <laughs> Who has a very around. similar style of Yes, uh, of exactly. There needs to be but a slightly certain... smaller than you. <laughs> yes, just slightly svelter build. Not so much. Uh, I feel like my understanding, at least my take on the hand-me-downs I've gotten from you, is that it's because... You are a taller guy than me, and it seems like the sleeves have shrunk quite a bit on these things. I'm just more of a beefcake, is like well, how I like to think about it. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Super Duperstitious. The paranormal podcast about why it's big old sweaty pecs. Oh, God. Which are very gently draped over right now with a beautiful Super Duperstitious t-shirt. Available in That's the store, right. along with a bunch of other cool styles. But yes, welcome everyone, welcome first time listener, and welcome <laughs> return <laughs> listeners. <laughs> All four of you, and the one of the other, yes. so yeah. And the one of the, the new one, yeah. We're improving our listenership by a whole 125% a week. Yes, and for the last time listeners, we're glad you stuck around as long as you could. We oh, understand. Yeah. We understand. <laughs> um, I'm Jake, I don't know if I mentioned... Uh, yeah, and I, I haven't mentioned... Pecs, well, maybe guys, I did Wyatt, mention... I don't remember anymore. In the third person. Yeah, that's right. So why it's sweaty pecs, I suppose. Uh-huh. But yes, uh, they're not sweaty, they're not bulging. And they're not pecs. And they're not pecs, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have actually concave <laughs> spots where those muscles should be. It makes lung and heart kind of placement a little strange, mm-hmm. but otherwise it's fine. Yeah. What are like, we talking about? This week, we're talking about adventure-type things? Yeah, we got really some adventure stories. Is. Adventures in the strange, I guess. Yes. Before we jump into that, do we want to talk at all about just a little bit of debrief on last week's episode? I just I thought of some things after we released it that we didn't talk about. Uh, we I talked mean, about I would be mic. happy for us, meaning you, to talk about it, and I'll respond to whatever you have to say. Great. So one thing I was thinking about when we were talking um, off mic last week, like while we were recording, we just hadn't, like we were taking a break and didn't hit record again. We like did some kind of analysis on the story of George's creepy um, ghost encounter in the cabin on Mount Washington. Oh God, yeah. Which was really fun and creepy, but like I feel like it's use- useful to talk about what might have happened to him. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. <laughs> which that's is the right. fact that like, he was alone in a cabin with all the windows boarded up, and then he saw. Right. He had this feeling of someone coming up behind him. He turned around and saw this horrible, grotesque face staring in the window, the boarded-up window, at him. And then he turned to each window and kept seeing the same face everywhere. That saw it kind of start moving toward him, and he freaked this out. horrible face, right? And then he ran. It hit under the out. sink with a, an axe until his friends found him the next day. Which, as uh, we all know, is the one tool that can kill ghosts. Absolutely. What we talked about was the idea that, you know, once you get spooked out, like if you're alone in a cabin, that's going to be creepy. Um, and going up, the, it's, it's a long hike, so you're going to be tired. A lot of stuff going on with that, too. Um, in the dark, easy to feel spooked. Once Gently you feel spooky. spooked, you're going to start, like, a lot of things are going to set you off. And mm-hmm. if you're looking in the dark at these different windows, it seems fairly likely that you'll see your own reflection in the window. And if you turn to each subsequent window, you'll probably see your reflection in each of them. And if they're old windows, the glass may be a little bit warped, and that may make it look really... Distort your face. Mm-hmm. Fun house of mirrors type. Yeah. So if you're, already, if you're already creeped out thinking someone was coming up behind you and just about to touch you when you turned around, and then you see this distorted face, 
in every Espe- window. I was thinking too, especially if it was low light, candlelight, flashlight, what have you, you always get a little bit of that uh, very stark, you know, side lighting on a face mm-hmm. that will make it look even more ghoulish. Yes. We went for that as hard as we could with our Halloween episode we recorded by candlelight. That's right. <laughs> and I think <laughs> it worked. Simultaneously spooky and very intimate. Oh man, we were not wearing anything for that, so that was <laughs> oh, private. indeed. You can check our Instagram. We have pictures of the whole entire thing, so you can <laughs> confirm that. Um, um, the other thing I want to talk about, was, did you see Sharon's emails at all? Um, yes, I did. Yeah. yeah, so Sharon, thank you for Thank you very much. Responding, uh, anticipating our prompt to email she us. She was ready. A uh, friend of the show, Sharon Hill, a geologist in Pennsylvania, as we cheekily hinted at knowing someone who might be that. Uh, feel free to check out our actual interview with Sharon in, uh, fuck, I forgot to look up the episode. Episode 43? Is that correct? Yo, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm having uh, a moment right now. 51, you were very close. Oh. Very close. We, when we dug into paranormal investigations and the science and lack thereof, yes. we want to believe parts one and two, pseudo right. and science. And she was in part two, the science part, because she is a friend in uh, the science scene. In the sciences. This, what? Anyway, thanks, Sharon, for chiming with some cool <laughs> stuff about, yeah, the, we talked about the Shepton Mine disaster and uh being from pennsylvania she's quite familiar with that tale very familiar. and also mm-hmm. with that song which has been stuck in my head since last week it's groovy ain't it <laughs> i'm not a fan honestly at least i, like, I had it? stuck it, i had it stuck in my head for the entire day that i was super sick and i oh, just couldn't yeah. get it to go away and i couldn't sleep so that was maybe a, a kind of colored the experience i you know yeah to that end i suppose it is groovy insofar as it is a song about miners trapped possibly eating their friend <laughs> And it Almost has a reasonable rhythm. It's, it's pretty much guaranteed oh, they it's ate quite, their friend. Quite, yeah, on the nose. But not the kind of song that I would want to listen to for more than the allotted three minutes or so that it exists. Exactly. As far as Shepton, um, she just gave us some cool details about the, the engineering feat that went into them finding right. them below the ground and how they had to it measure no and put four holes down and stuff. And, or just math. How math can really solve a lot of problems. And, it is uh, pretty incredible. And bummer okay. about Lewis. I I don't know that I believe he got eaten. I think he was just in a different part of, of the mine. Oh, Didn't almost certainly he yeah. got. Yeah, he just met a very unfortunate fate down there. Yeah, but yeah. Anytime I lean in a hundred percent on something like that, it's because <laughs> I am serious. <laughs> exactly. So there is some stuff from last week. Other than that, I don't have any updates. If you do, go for it. But I don't. I don't exactly have an update, though. I do have some recent news that was very dovetails nicely with my story for today well that's good because you're up first today so you want to just jump into whatever Ooh, the f- i'll just begin talking for say? so long yeah cool. allow me begin so, topic stuff topic stuff initiate now beginning sequence go has started <laughs> and in 10 <laughs> nine okay i'm starting uh so this is a fun bit of news this past monday this would be february 10th the museum of london revealed new finds among the havering horde which i had not heard about prior to this now is this in scotland are they just a group of people who just kind of ramble on about stuff i don't know okay. you're i'm guessing you're making a joke correct it's scott's i think it's scott's word for just like kind of yeah rambling on about stuff is havering Havering, that's a great term. Um, Scottish listeners, please correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, in 20 words or less. (laughs) 20 Scots words or less, preferably. (laughs) 
But right, the Havering Horde is a collection of Fewer, 453 sorry. swords, axes, knives, chisels, sickles, razors, ingots, and bracelets. Wow. All excavated from a quarry in East London mm-hmm. over a period of three months and revealed in 2019. Again, I hadn't heard about it, but maybe our listeners in the UK will have a little more familiarity with this. So this dates uh, from 900 to 800 BC. Mm-hmm. And it is the third largest Bronze Age horde ever discovered in the UK. And just for your information, I am reading essentially from uh, an article in The Guardian that covered this. So, closer examination has revealed that a pair of tarot rings believed to have been used to prevent the reins tangling on horse-drawn carts is among mm-hmm. this uh, collection. Bronze Age examples of this kind of find have been found before in France, but not the UK. So, it kind of expands the range on that technology, if you will. Cool. Uh, there's also a bracelet believed to be from what is now northwest France and copper ingots possibly originating from the Alps. So Kate Sumnall, a curator of archaeology at the museum, said the unexpected finds suggested links to Europe that were nearly 3,000 years old. So essentially, you know, this is very timely given that we have links between the UK and Europe going back to you know, about 3,000 years, which are about to be officially cleaved for good, (laughs) potentially. Uh, These objects, quote, these objects give clues about how this wasn't an isolated community, but rather one that fitted into a much larger cultural group with connections along the Thames Valley and across the continent, unquote. What the discoveries do not do is help solve the mystery of the Horde's origins, continuing. Quote, we pulled together a room full of Bronze Age specialists to discuss some of this, to discuss our interpretation, and hopefully to narrow things down. And you can't get the room to agree, she said. There are currently four theories about why so many objects would have been deliberately broken. Yeah, so all these things are like shattered and smashed Hmm. and meticulously buried. Jake, can you guess one or do you want to make one up? Or do you already know the truth because you're a time traveler and you did this yourself and it was all your fault? I don't know. Well, it may have been a ritualistic offering to the gods. Okay. It may have been something to do with the late Bronze Age start of Iron Age, such that these objects were no longer so highly valued or Mm -hmm. wanted. It may have been a powerful person trying to control the amount of bronze that was in circulation and being traded. Oh. Or, they think... It may be the location of um, a kind of Bronze Age storage site. So perhaps they were broken, but they still had value, and this was just kind of like a cachet. Hmm. Some all said the exhibition would not be prescriptive. Quote, we will be saying, here are the clues, form your own conclusion. So for folks in the UK or traveling to the UK, Havering Horde, a Bronze Age mystery, is at the Museum of London Docklands, from the 3rd of April to the 1st of November. So a cool 2020 destination for anyone interested in very real treasures. And feel free to blather as Scottishly as you want while you're there. Exactly. Haver on to your heart's content. And real treasures gets us into my topic, which I guess I'm embarrassed to admit or ask in public. (laughs) Do you ever get... Addicted to certain conversational topics, Jake. Uh, I mean... Apparently, I'm addicted to talking about mines. Oh, uh, yes. Because this week, I have yet <laughs> another mine story. So, it's, Jake, outside uh, of... Would you yes, say it's all yours? 
I had some jokes about that and I deleted them. So, Jake, have you ever heard of the Lost Dutchman's Gold outside um, of outside preparation of, for uh, this show? Yeah, outside of being told we should look that up? No. <laughs> yes. Uh, when we were approached by that crooked crone on the corner and she said, these topics three I give to thee, Lost Dutchman's Gold, whatever you're going to talk about today, Jake. <laughs> and some other thing. And we a have third a, one. The, <laughs> yep. Um, we take good notes. Yeah, so the Superstition Mountains, I kid you not, popularly called the Superstitions, is a range of mountains in Arizona located to the east of the Phoenix metropolitan area. So we're talking southwest USA. Mm -hmm. Superstition Mountain itself is just one of many geographic landmarks inside of the Superstition Wilderness Area, or the SWA, (laughs) which is a protected area designated in 1939 and later expanded in 1984 to its current size of 160,000 acres. The mountains have various names, including Crooked Top Mountains, Thunder Mountain, and Mountains of Foam. Gross. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, the local First Nations people were described as superstitious about the mountain, which led farmers in the area to christen the range with their current name in the 1860s. So it's had the name Superstition Mountains for a while. Uh, so legend has it that during the 1840s, the Peralta family of northern Mexico supposedly developed a rich gold mine or gold mines in the superstitions. Their last expedition to carry gold back to Mexico occurred in 1848, so the story goes. According to legend, the large party was ambushed by Apaches, and all were killed except for one or two Peralta family members who escaped into Mexico. This area is known today as the Massacre Grounds. A number of other people were supposed to have known the mine's location or even to have worked it. Numerous maps have surfaced over the years, only to become lost or misplaced when interested parties press for facts. Those who claimed to have found the Peralta mine were unable to return to it or some disaster occurred before they could file a claim, all Mm -hmm. adding to the lore of this lost mine. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it is said to have existed. Some family purportedly made money off it, but ever since, folks have not been able to return. That is, of course, until 1870. Uh Uh, In the 1870s, Jacob Waltz, the Dutchman, which was at that time a term used to refer to a person's origin in Germany as well as uh, the Netherlands because they were Deutsch, so Mm -hmm. German, uh, was said to have, so yes, Jacob Waltz was said to have located the mine through the aid of a Peralta descendant. Waltz and his partner, Jacob Weiser, supposedly worked the mine and allegedly hid one or more caches of gold in the superstitions. More stories place the gold in the vicinity of Weaver's Needle, which is a well-known landmark in that area. Weiser was killed by Apaches, or according to some, by Waltz himself. Jacob Waltz eventually moved to Phoenix and died some 20 years later in 1891. He is said to have described the mine's location, though, before his death to Julia Thomas, a neighbor who took care of him prior to his death. What we seem to know for sure is that a man of that name was born in Württemberg in 1810, so that's Germany, and later emigrated to the U.S. From the 1860s onward, he homesteaded in Arizona, pursuing mining and and prospecting as a hobby, but it turns out as a very unsuccessful one, apparently. Hmm. 
So, as early as September 1st, 1892, about a year after she had been told about the mine, a local newspaper relates how Julia Thomas and others were trying to locate it for real. When they failed, it is reported they sold copies of a map for $7 each uh, for others to try to reach the mine, which, by today's standards, is equivalent to almost $200 US. <laughs> um, so, they were making making money their own way, straight up racket. Mm-hmm. Uh, after about a decade, perhaps unsurprisingly, the story sank into obscurity mm-hmm. and was basically forgotten. So, why are we talking about the legend of Lost Dutchman's Mine, the most famous in American history, now? Fuck if I know, Wyatt. Fuck if I know. You're looking pretty fucked, brother, so you better <laughs> tell me the truth. Um, so, if it's such an obscure and seemingly obvious racket... Why has the Lost Dutchman story been printed at least six times more often than the story of Captain Kidd's Lost Treasure, than the story of the Lost Pegleg Mine in California, which is oh. one that I've never heard of? Yeah. Um, and why have literally thousands of people gone searching for this mine, as many as 8,000 a year, all oh to no God. avail, and occasionally at great physical cost? And by that, I do mean death. Well, were it not for the death of amateur explorer and treasure hunter Adolf Ruth, the story of the Lost Dutchman's Mine would probably have been little more than a footnote in Arizona history. So it's That's about a Dutchman getting lost, looking for the Lost Dutchman Mine. Yes, exactly. The, the, the Dutch inheritance goes on. Um, right, so where was I? Ruth? Right, Ruth. Ruth. Ruth disappeared. <laughs> while searching for the mine in the summer everything. of 1931 yeah oh i get why we're talking about this now yeah but yes he goes looking for the mine he disappears in the summer of 1931 and later his skull with two holes identified as bullet holes was recovered about six months after he vanished hmm. pretty spooky and yeah. subsequently the story made national news and sparked a widespread interest in the Lost Dutchman's Mine. In a story that echoes some of the earlier tales, Ruth's son, Erwin C. Ruth, was said to have learned of the Peralta Mine from a man called Pedro Gonzalez. Uh, According to the story, in about 1912, Erwin Ruth gave some legal aid to Gonzalez, saving him from almost certain imprisonment. In gratitude, Gonzalez told Erwin about the Peralta Mine in the Superstition Mountains and gave him some antique maps of the site. So, Erwin passed the information on to his father, Adolf, who had a long-standing interest in lost mines and amateur exploration. The elder Ruth had fallen and badly broken several bones while seeking the lost Pegleg Mine in California, and thus he had metal pins in his leg and used a cane to help him walk. Who cares? In 1931, Ruth set out to locate the Peralta Mine. After traveling to the region, Ruth stayed several days at the ranch of Tex Barkley to outfit his expedition. Barkley repeatedly urged Ruth to abandon his search for the mine because the terrain of the Superstition Mountains was treacherous, even for an experienced outdoorsman, let alone a 66-year-old Ruth with metal pin legs. (laughs) The skull that was recovered, they believe had been shot at close range, fired from a shotgun, pretty intense. Did they have like dental records to compare? Like how do they know it's his skull? 
Well, they found his personal effects not far from the skull. Oh, inside the skull, okay. Inside of the skull. Yeah. Yes. Makes sense. His clothing, his body. (laughs) Yep. Tantalizingly, Ruth's checkbook was also recovered and proved to contain a note written by Ruth wherein he claimed to have discovered the mine and gave detailed directions, ending the note with Veni Vidi Vici. Vici? Vici. Oh, my God. Veni Vidi Vici. It's Vicky. I think it's probably Vicky. Vicky? Really? No. Am I... Oh, thank goodness. I'm very gullible. <laughs> um, Ruth has an extremely high-profile death looking for the mine. Everyone gets interested. And ever since, folks have been fascinated by the story. If one looks closer, the legend of the lost Dutchman's gold has since that time become kind of an amalgamation of a few narrative elements of lost treasure Mm. all variations on the theme of lost gold and this is all based on work by southwestern folklore author and researcher bird granger which is about as apropos a name as you could have for that profession yep um and that is of course byrd ah yes perhaps it's beard granger (laughs) um right so the first aspect is Tales of the Lost Apache's Gold, or Dr. Thorne's Mine. So the Apache are the only ones who know of a very rich gold mine in the Superstition Mountains. That is, until Miguel Peralta's family stumbles upon the site and starts mining for the gold. They are massacred by the Apache in 1850. Years later, an army doctor by the name of Thorne treats an ailing Apache, possibly a chief, so the story goes, who, as a reward, takes him to the mine, blindfolded, of course, where he can take as much gold as he can carry... Thorne is later unable or unwilling to reveal the location of the mine. It turns out some writers have indicated that there actually was a Miguel Peralta whose family operated a gold mine, but this was in the 1860s near Valencia or Valenciana in California. I think it's Miguel. Miguel, <laughs> yes. Um, and after the mine became unprofitable, uh, Miguel turned to fraud (laughs) so he sold the mining rights to a large area in southern arizona and new mexico to dr george m willing jr based on a deed originally granted by the spanish empire the deed was bogus and willing never uh, recovered his money Uh, this may be the way the peralta story became incorporated into the lost dutchman legend Mm -hmm. additionally there was never any army doctor named thorn in the 1860s in arizona there was a dr thorn who had a private practice in new mexico he claimed to have been abducted by navajo in 1845 or 54 discovering a rich gold vein during his captivity so these two things kind of mushed into the dutchman story seems like anyone who happened to be at all outside for an extended period in the southwest <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh yeah, and I saw a bunch in of gold. Just vicinity. in case you're wondering. Yeah, exactly. That would have been a really popular lie to tell, I suppose. Um, there is, of course, the Jacob Waltz story that I've already gone over, and then stories of the soldiers' lost gold vein. Around 1872, U.S. Army soldiers discover a vein of almost pure gold in or near the Superstition Mountains. They're able to present some of it to a third party, but afterwards are killed or vanish. All that said, the Dutchman's gold has become something more than just a tall tale through the death of so many seekers. So particularly given how mysterious, tragic, and otherwise odd these deaths have been, you know, I think this is what's kind of lent a charge to the tale and sort of made the lost Dutchman's gold into a tangible reality, even if there is nothing to be found. (laughs) So in the 1940s, the headless remains of prospector James A. Cravey 
were reportedly discovered in the Superstition Mountains. He had allegedly disappeared after setting out to find the Lost Dutchman's Mine. In his 1945 book about the Lost, Lost Dutchman's Mine, Thunder God's Gold, Barry Storm, which is a pen name of John Griffith Clemenson, Clin- claimed to have nearly escaped from a mysterious sniper he dubbed Mr. X. <laughs> Storm further speculated that Adolf Ruth might have been a victim of the same sniper. So this is sort of like uh, Reddit before Reddit. Uh, exactly. In 1961, George Conrad, quote-unquote, Shorty Mueller, claimed to his friends in the Phoenix area that he'd found the mine. He said he needed help removing the gold from the cache, uh, cache and asked two friends to accompany him back to the area around Re- Weaver's Needle. However, less than two weeks later, on January 1st, 1962, Shorty Mueller died of a heart attack mm. in late november or early december 2009 denver colorado resident jesse capen went missing in the tonto national forest his campsite and car were found abandoned shortly afterward he was known to have been obsessed with finding the mine for several years and had made previous trips to the area his body was found in november 2012 three years later almost by a local search and rescue organization and this is the creepy part wedged into a crevice oh the program disappeared. Covered the case, mentioning others in the episode "The Dutchman's Curse." Had he tried to cut off his arm with a penknife by any chance? Yes, exactly. And then on July eleventh, two thousand ten, Utah hikers Curtis Merworth, Ardian Charles, and Malcolm Meeks went missing in the Superstition Mountains, looking for the mine. Merworth had become lost in the area in the same area in 2009 so obviously didn't lose learn his lesson <laughs> and required a rescue um, on july 19 the maricopa county sheriff's department called off the search for the lost men presumably having died in the summer heat and of course later on january 2011 three sets of remains believed to be those of the men were recovered so to sum it up much like we saw with the oak island money pit mm-hmm. humans are basically designed to chase sexy bullshit (laughs) yes indeed we love stories and we love lottery logic and we are skilled at grabbing anything to justify (laughs) our desires to see these things actualized often especially absent any empirical proof yes ironically enough the less evidence you have against the more evidence you can manufacture for yourself (laughs) Yep. and so i would further argue that the many objectively real deaths i already sort of said this but i'll say it again the many objectively real deaths of so many seekers over the years have ironically weirdly legitimized the story for those that came after. So if there's something to die for, that thing must be real. Exactly. So. Yeah, it is hilarious how much people are so desperate to go after stuff. That there's two synergistic urges going on. One is to just be the the one to find something that's missing. Like, right. oh, we did it. We finally found it. People, everyone's been trying so many people have died, but we found it. And right. the other, or so many people have failed, depending on the thing, like the money pit, people didn't necessarily right. die quite as much as just fail. But then also if you have the allure of gold, specifically as the thing oh, yeah. at the end of all of that. Ancient gold. Something about that particular metal has always uh, gotten people real excited for it many, many years. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. It's got to shine. It's pretty, and it's non-reactive, and it's conductive, and it's malleable. So there's a lot of cool yes, properties it's highly, to it. Highly, yeah, make it exactly. Interesting. People, it's all. It's not for the money. It's for the technology. Really, that people are <laughs> crazy for gold. Um, <laughs> but just but yeah. yeah, it's it's a neat metal, but it's like it's still a thing in the ground. Right. All I can think of too, as you're describing these different quests out there to try and find this thing, and the different the different stories kind of 
combining together to make this one major story. All I could think of was um, the short story All Gold Canyon and specifically the uh, hmm. the vignette from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs that was that story as portrayed by Tom Waits. Oh, I Friend kind of, of the show, Tom Waits. Friend of the show, yes, exactly. Uh, lead sponsor on Patreon, Tom Waits. <laughs> yep. That Tom Waits, yes, that one. Uh-huh. Well, sir, what have you for me? Hopefully I have something that'll wake everyone back up. Something surprisingly on point. I was trying to find just an adventure themed story. Right. And then I ended up finding oh, I have one that's like American West. I can't remember where the Superstition Mountains were. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, this is kind of related, but it's actually in the American Southwest. It's really, really um geographically on point. So we could have made a theme that was like as specific as we wanted, it would still work, which is pretty oh, fun. Shit. Oh my yeah. god. Did you get the Lost Dutchman's gold? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> My adventure takes us to the American Southwest, but maybe it'll take us somewhere else entirely. Ooh. We'll have to see what this 1909 article from the Arizona Gazette has to say. It's pronounced Gazette. 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 Uh, the complete title of the article is Mysteries of Immense High Cavern Being Brought to Light. Jordan is Enthused. Remarkable finds indicate ancient people migrated from Orient. That's the whole title. Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> the latest news of the progress of the explorations of what is now regarded <laughs> by scientists as not only the oldest archaeological discovery in the United States, but one of the most valuable in the world, which was mentioned some time ago in the Gazette, was brought to the city yesterday by G.E. Kincaid, the explorer who found the great underground citadel of the Grand Canyon during a trip from Green River, Wyoming, down the Colorado in a wooden boat to Yuma my, several, oh several months ago. Mm-hmm. At three ten in the afternoon, as I understand. Yeah. I usually like to break up my notes into bullets to avoid large blocks of text that are easy to get lost in. But inescapable uh, now, huh? Yeah, this particular sentence didn't really <laughs> give me much of a choice. Uh huh. Um, according to the story related to the Gazette by Mr. Kincaid, the archaeologists of the Smithsonian Institute, which is financing the expeditions, have made discoveries which almost conclusively prove that the race which inhabited this mysterious cavern, hewn in solid rock by human hands was of oriental origin, possibly from Egypt, tracing back to Ramses. Wow. So I want to point out that the Arizona Gazette was one of the forerunners of the modern uh, Arizona Republic, a mm-hmm. normal and major regional newspaper, which is you know, mm-hmm. wasn't a National Enquirer or a Weekly World News type of publication. Because, yeah, this sounds like a tabloid so far. It does, but it was printed in what was ostensibly a normal newspaper. And I wasn't okay, able to okay. do a ton of digging to see like what other articles they put out, but I did at least find a website saying oh yeah no i did the research and they totally just published normal stuff wow which i mean that's just one person saying that but anyway it it seems like (laughs) generally their main deal was normal news right um so this was a real news article that came out wow okay and yeah at the time this would have been sensational i imagine but yes not uh the the phrasing of oriental at that period was just simply someone from the other side of the globe, I imagine. Pretty much, and in this case, not like Asian anything, or including Middle Eastern. Uh, including Egypt, and that. So anywhere, yeah, e- Egypt is kind of outside of my uh, <laughs> understanding of that term. I always thought it was like general Far East kind yes. of thing, but uh, I guess I guess just anywhere east of Europe at all. Wow. Hey, what you um, gonna do? Yeah. Which I mean, that's South. East. I don't know. It's it's just yeah nonsense. Yeah. It's Arizona. Yes. If their theories are born uh, if their theories are borne out by the translation of the tablets engraved with hieroglyphics, the mystery of the prehistoric peoples of North America, their ancient arts, who they were and whence they came, will be solved. Hieroglyphics, huh? Uh-huh. Egypt and the Nile, and Arizona and the Colorado 
will be linked by a historical chain running back to ages, which staggers the wildest fancy of the fictionist. My fancies are pretty wild. Yeah. Under the direction of Professor S.A. <laughs> Jordan, the Smithsonian Institute is now prosecuting the most thorough explorations, which will be continued until the last link in the chain is forged. Nearly a mile underground, about 1,480 feet below the surface, you know, almost a mile, uh, the long main <laughs> passage has been delved into to find another mammoth chamber from which radiates scores of passageways, like the spokes of a wheel. Whoa. Several hundred rooms have been discovered, reached by passageways running from the main passage, one of them having been explored for 854 feet and another 634 feet. You know, wow. almost a mile. Uh, the recent finds <laughs> include ar um, articles which have never been known as native to this country, and doubtless they had their origin in the Orient, which I think in this case refers to um, Spain. Uh, war weapons, copper instruments, <laughs> sharp-edged and hard steel indicate the high state of civilized um, civilization reached by these strange people. So, Whoa, so is this for real? So interested how the scientists become. This is being uh, investigated by the Smithsonian. Wow. Uh, so interested had the scientists become that preparations are being made to equip the camp for extensive studies, and the force mm. will be increased to 30 or 40 persons. Mr. Kincaid was the first white child born in Idaho and has been an explorer and hunter all his life, 30 years having been in the service of the Smithsonian Institute. Even briefly mm. recounted, his history sounds fabulous, almost grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, i wish i could write my dissertation with this kind of language this know, is amazing push it back to 1909 yeah uh, first i would impress this is now quoting within the article this is actual yes. quotes from kincaid himself mm -hmm. um first i would impress that the cavern is nearly inaccessible the entrance is 1486 feet down the sheer canyon wall it's located on government land and no visitor will be allowed there under penalty of under penalty of trespass the scientists wish to work unmolested without fear of archaeological discoveries being disturbed uh, by curio or relic hunters. Uh huh. A trip it's there would sound like a cover up. Uh huh. A trip there would be fruitless, and the visitor would be <laughs> sent on his way. The story uh -huh. of how I found the cavern has been related, but in a paragraph, I was journeying down the Colorado River in a boat alone, looking for mineral. So I guess mm -hmm. looking looking for gold, like everyone does in the yeah, Southwest. Yeah, not the just time. any mineral. Yes. Homeboy was surrounded by. He's mineral. looking for basalt. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know I can find some really good stuff here in the middle of the Colorado River. <laughs> um, some 42 miles up the river from the El Tovar Cristal Canyon, I saw on the east wall stains in the sedimentary formation about 2,000 feet above the riverbed. There was no trail to this point, but I finally reached it with great difficulty. Mm. So there was no trail to get there. But it's like, I, I just climbed 2,000 feet eventually. Yeah, no big deal. You <laughs> just, just sailed the, same way. the I climbed boat down that 1,400 foot fucking... Yeah. ravine into this crevasse or what have yeah. you above a shelf which hid it from view uh hid it from view from the river was the mouth of the cave mm -hmm. there are steps leading from this entrance some 30 yards to what was at the time the cavern was inhabited the level of the river when mm. i saw the chisel marks on the wall inside the entrance i became interested securing my gun and went in during that trip, I went back several hundred feet along. There could be miners in here. There could be skull waltulas. You never know. Oh, wow. That was a skulltula? Did you call it a skull waltula? I thought that was a separate thing. Skulltula. I thought skulltula was the ones like the, the golden skulltula. That dropped and then, down? And this, oh, no. Nah, oh, maybe you're right. guessing myself. Let's double check. Skull. And also, be sure, let us not tell anyone what this is. I'm dead serious. Folks are either going to get this or they're not. If you don't get it, too bad. All right, I think... We're both right. Yes, we're both right.
Oh, I love that. Good. <laughs> so Skullwatchulas were actually... The ones that would pop out and you had to knock them? They come down their... and the Skullwatchulas were like generally other forms of the same thing. The, the ones on the walls. What was the one you needed to kill to collect though? Golden Skullwatchulas. Golden Skullwatchulas. And you would have to trigger them sometimes by putting seeds in the thing or do whatever the hell. Some nonsense, yeah. Or you put the bugs in the hole and they'd pop out. I think so. That's right. Yes. Anyway, go on. This is the most important part of the story. I was also going to say, I think Kincaid was the sniper of the Superstition Mountains. Ooh, now there is something. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, they're coming to look for my cave I found. Mm-hmm. Shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where the gold lives. Exactly. During that trip, I went back several hundred feet along the main passage until I came to the crypt in which I discovered the mummies. What? One of these I stood up and photographed by flashlight. I gathered a number of he relics. He stood the mummy up with his flashlight? He photographed it by flashlight. I know, I know. It. I'm being silly. <laughs> well, let you know, when you flash a light, like it's a quick flash, that takes a picture. Like So you just quick stro- strobe a light and then a picture is taken. <laughs> that is how photography works. Um, I gathered a number of relics, which I carried down the Colorado to Yuma, from which I, for once I shipped them to Washington with, with details of the discovery. Following this, the explorations were undertaken. The main passageway is about 12 feet wide, narrowing to 9 feet toward the farther end. About 57 feet from the entrance, the first side passages branch off to the right and left, along which on both sides are a number of rooms about the size of ordinary living rooms of today, depending on where you live, I guess, uh, though some are 30 by 40 feet square. Mm. Uh, these are entered by oval-shaped doors and are ventilated by round air spaces through the walls into the passages. This is fucking bullshit. <laughs> Now, Wyatt, the Smithsonian, he works for the Smithsonian. Yeah, right. The walls are about three feet, six inches in thickness. I guess he just dug into them to find out. But uh, the, what qualifies the end of the wall, though? Yeah, I don't know. The passages are chiseled or hewn as straight as could be laid out by an engineer. The ceilings of many of the rooms converge to a center. Uh, the side passages near the entrance run at a sharp angle from the main hall, but toward the rear, they gradually each uh, gradually reach a right angle in direction. Over a hundred feet from the entrance is the cross hall, several hundred feet long, in which are found the idol or image of the people's god, sitting mm. cross-legged with a lotus flower or lily in each hand. Mm-hmm. The cast of the face is oriental, and the carving, um, I think, as is the carving of this cavern. I'm not they just using the that term, don't they? Yeah. The idol almost resembles Buddha, though the scientists are not oh. certain as to what religious worship it represents. Mm-hmm. Taking into consideration everything found thus far, it is possible that this worship most resembles the ancient people of Tibet. Hmm. Surrounding this idol are smaller images, some very beautiful in form, others crooked-necked and distorted shapes, symbolically probably of good and evil. There are hmm. two large cactus with protruding arms, one on each side of the days on which the god squats. Mm-hmm. Um, He's squatting, huh? Yes. All this is carved out of rock resembling marble. In the opposite hmm. corner of the cross hall were found tools of all descriptions made of copper. These people undoubtedly knew the lost art of hardening this metal, which has been sought by chemicals for centuries for, without result. On a bench running around the workroom was some charcoal and other material probably used in the process. There's also slag and stuff similar to mat, uh, showing that these ancient smelted ores, and so far no trace of where or how this was done has been discovered, nor the origin mm-hmm. of the ore. Mm. I was looking for ore. I wish they could have left some directions for where they got it from. Where did you get this ore? We're nowhere near water. Go on. Among the other finds are vases or urns and cups of copper and gold made very artistic in design. 
Mm-hmm. The pottery work includes enameled ware and glazed vessels. Another passageway leads to granaries, such as are found in the Oriental temples. They contain scenes of various kinds. One very large storehouse has not yet been entered, as it is 12 feet high and can be reached only from above. Hmm. Two copper hooks extend on the edge, which indicates that some sort of ladder was attached. These granaries are rounded, as the materials of which they are uh, constructed, I think, is a very hard cement. Uh, A gray metal is also found in this cavern, which puzzles the scientists, for its identity has not been established. It resembles platinum. Strewn promiscuously over the floor everywhere are what people call cat's eyes, a yellow stone of no great value. Each one is engraved with the head of the Malay type. Oh my god. On all the urns of walls over doorways and tablets of stone which were found by the image are the mysterious hieroglyphics, the key to which the Smithsonian Institute hopes yet to discover. The engraving on the tablets probably has something to do with the religion of the people. Similar hieroglyphics have been found in southern Arizona. Among the pictorial writings, only two animals are found. One is of prehistoric type. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so but. this guy sounds like someone who had a homework assignment <laughs> from the Smithsonian. Uh-huh. They gave him some money. They said, you got to <laughs> go find this cool stuff. He said, okay. And then he woke up and it was class in like 45 minutes. Uh-huh. And he sat there and he wrote the most cool five paragraph essay he possibly could (laughs) generate from the back of his butt (laughs) and sent that in and was like give me more money and i'll find more (laughs) of this stuff you guys are way over in dc is that true we'll have to just find out what happened here uh, to me it sounds like he made every discovery it's possible to make all in one place you know it is amazing and i look forward to hearing what happens next (laughs) The tomb or crypt in which the mummies were found is one of the lar- plural mummies were found is one of the largest of the chambers. The wall is slanting back at an angle of about 35 degrees. On these are tiers of mummies, each one occupying a separate a separate hewn shelf. At the head of each is a small bench on which is found copper cups and pieces of broken swords. Some of the mummies are covered with clay, and all are wrapped in a bark fabric. The urns or cups in the lower tiers are crude, which uh, while all the um, excuse me, while all the higher shelves are reached, the urns are finer in design, showing a later stage of civilization. It is worthy of note that all the mummies examined so far have proved to be male, no children or females being buried here. This leads to the belief that this exterior section was the warrior's barracks. <laughs> Among the discoveries, no bones of animals have been found, no skins, no clothing, no bedding. Many of the rooms are bare but for water vessels. Mm. One room, about 40 by 700 feet, was probably the main dining hall for cooking utensils uh, for cooking utensils are found there. What these people lived on is a problem, though it is presumed that they came south in the winter and farmed in the valleys going back north in the summer. Upwards of 50,000 people could have lived in the caverns comfortably. One theory is that the um, present Indian tribes found in Arizona are descendants of the serfs or slaves of the people who inhabited the cave. So already, in addition to just the general racism he's been throwing around up until then, he's now saying, oh, you know... People that we knew already lived here before us, they're probably just like just slaves of these cool people who were here before. Oh that's my probably God. what that's about. Uh, undoubtedly, a good many thousands of years before the Christian era, a, peop- uh, a people lived here which reached a high stage of civilization. The chronology of human history is full of gaps. Professor Jordan is much enthused over the discoveries and believes that the find will prove of incalculable value in archaeological work. Mm-hmm. One thing I have not spoken of may be of interest. Oh, by the way, I forgot the other thing. There is one chamber of the passageway to which is uh, <laughs> to which is not ventilated, 
and when we approached it, a deadly snaky smell struck us. Our light would not penetrate the gloom Ooh, until stronger ones are available. We will not know what the chamber contains. Mm-hmm. Some say snakes, but others boo-hoo this idea and think it may contain a deadly gas or chemicals used by the ancients. There's no almost no difference. <laughs> no sounds are heard, but it smells snaky just the same. The is whole that for real? Is, the, is that actually what's written? Uh, yeah, twice. My um, goodness. The whole underground installation gives one of shaky nerves the creeps. The gloom is like a weight on one's shoulders, and our flashlights and candles only make the darkness blacker. Imagination can revel in conjectures and ungodly daydreams back through the ages that have uh, elapsed till the mind reels dizzily in space. He kind of is copping to it just there, isn't he, too? <laughs> some some might say this would inspire you to make them something up if you were so inclined. <laughs> In connection with this story, it is notable that among the Hopi Indians, the tradition is sold uh, is told that their ancestors once lived in an underground, uh, in an underworld in the Grand Canyon, till dissension arose between the good and the bad, the people of one heart and the people of two hearts. Macheto, who was uh, who mm. was their chief, counseled them to leave the underworld, but there was no way out. The chief then caused a, gra- uh, a tree to grow up and pierce the roof of the underworld, and then the people of one heart climbed out. They tarried to pace. Uh, Pisces Fay Red River, which is the Colorado, and grew grain and corn. He sent out a message to the Temple of the Sun, asking the blessings of peace, goodwill, and rain for people of one heart. That messenger never returned, but today at the Hopi villages at sundown can be seen the old men of the tribe out on the housetops gazing toward the sun, looking for the messenger. When he returns, their lands and ancient dwelling place will be restored to them. That is the tradition. Whew! Among the engravings of animals in the cave is seen the image of a heart over the um, spot where it is located. The legend oh, was uh, learned by W.E. Rollins, the artist, during a year spent with the Hopi Indians. There are two theories of the origin of the Egyptians. One <laughs> is that they came from Asia. Another is that the racial cradle was in the upper Nile region. Herein, an Egyptologist believed in the Indian origin of the Egyptians. The discoveries in the Grand Canyon may throw further light on human evolution and prehistoric ages. Oh my God! So, what do you think of these monumental discoveries about the history of humanity? Michelle? It is such bullshit. <laughs> well, here's it, s- it feels like a long form joke. <laughs> here's some you analysis know? from a very credible website, which says it's all real. It says uh, based on the um, the numbers he's giving about like you know, distances from the water and from the top of the cliff. That means that the Colorado River, by Kincaid's testimony said that yeah, where the entrance was was actually where the river used to be. Right. Uh, has cut some 1,910 feet <laughs> in the canyon since the time of the construction of the vaults. Mm-hmm. Normal geological time would place human construction on the canyon walls at this level at easily tens of thousands, if not millions, of years ago. Mm-hmm. Kincaid's testimony actually is evidence that much of the Grand Canyon was cut in a very short time during some cataclysmic earth change, rather mm-hmm. than the slow, steady millions of years claimed by uniformitarian geologists. <laughs> it is possible that a huge lake was drained down the Grand Canyon, thus causing oh, the fast on. erosion. So that's probably what mm-hmm. happened. Almost definitely what happened. That does make me think of glacial melt catastrophic flooding, which is absolutely fascinating. I forget if I brought that up on the show before or not. We're talking have, about cool things you can see from like um, infrared from views space. of of the ground from space and exactly. how like patterns people didn't notice before. And like, wait, what the hell is that? And like from the ground it looks like up. rolling hills, but like essentially it is the floodplain of when these gl- glacial sort of dams would finally shatter and mm-hmm. all the meltwater would explode out. You'd have like, 
I don't think it was a mile deep, but it was some kind of incredibly deep, fast-moving flood mm -hmm. for literally tens, if not hundreds of miles. Yeah. And it was amazing. Anyway, yeah. And so that definitely happened at least a couple times to the Grand Canyon and wore that down really fast. And that's why everything is right and <laughs> correct. Yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> I will link to some more stuff from this particular incredibly helpful website. For example, the fact that sometimes temples are on cliffs or in caves and therefore mm. this one must be real. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Jake, oh my God. So what does the Smithsonian, who played a major role in this entire endeavor, both by employing the guy Kincaid who found all this stuff and then sending right. an additional 30 or 40 researchers to go help him look into that, it more. Is that for real? Do they actually do that? What do they have to say about all of this, do you think? Oh, can I guess or do you want to just tell me? Go for it. Well, either they were duped and they were like, we really hope this guy can find what he's talking about. We think this is really cool. Or they're going to be like, this dude is a fucking quack. We're not sending these men. This is all made up. He's trying to claim our credibility, and goodbye. Even better. They say, myth number four. The Smithsonian discovered Egyptian ruins in the Grand Canyon. Fact, it didn't. <laughs> they do actually, it. They actually go on from there. They say, I the, thought you... Yeah, they, go on. Uh, they, uh, that is the quote from the website, though. They say, the Gazette article includes testimony of one G.E. Kincaid who says that he, traveling solo down the Green and Colorado rivers, discovered proof of an ancient civilization, possibly of Egyptian origin. Story also asserts that a Smithsonian archaeologist named S.A. Jordan returned with Kincaid to investigate the site. However, the Arizona Gazette appears to have been the only newspaper ever to have published the story. No mm -hmm. records can confirm the existence of either Kincaid or Jordan. Mm-hmm. So, go figure. The two main guys working on it uh, probably didn't exist at all, and no other uh, publication ever ran with this otherwise well, earth-shattering story. story. Um. Because that's the real uh, puppet master in all this. Yeah, let me uh, jump to that, see if I can see where it was. What's his? What's that guy's story? Because he clearly probably was reading Smithsonian Magazine, if that thing existed at the time. <laughs> it was just like writing his own version of Indiana Jones or something. In the original newspaper clipping thing, there is no actual specific author attributed to this. It's just Dang. big old headline, a series of uh, three different subheadings. And then the article jumps in from there. Oh, um, my God. So it is uh, real and cool and great. And, yeah. I know I came down on it kind of hard, but I am now convinced. Yeah. I thought you would be. I do want to also point out that um, just because the Smithsonian says that this isn't actually uh, a thing that ever happened or reported by anyone who ever existed, and just because none of us have ever heard this story before, uh, even though it's... A pretty huge <laughs> discovery about how people uh, apparently migrated across the world. This is not to say that there are no caves or other cool car situations in the old Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll link to a cool thing from the National Park Service website about these very cool phenomena. And I'll not go any deeper into that now for time's sake. But yeah, there there are Sweet. caves and stuff there. Right. Uh, not necessarily full of uh, Mummies generically and... ancient people's yeah. um <laughs> Artifacts. Catch-all <laughs> artifacts. <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> so right. that is a thing that got written in 1909. <laughs> wow. I it wish seems like I did. Go on. I I found like the website I referred to. A person really dug into it and like was like digging yeah, apart each individual part about why. Or here's a, here's a detail about why this is weird. But here's why it works. And like one of the things they said oh, was like, no. oh, here's, you know, can, like they like the idea of like, oh, you know, it would have had to taken probably millions of years for the water to wear the um the. Mm -hmm. 
the canyon down that much, so it must have happened all at once. Uh, they, they point out that, you know, back at the time, based on the description of his route he traveled, he ran the whole entire Grand Canyon, like the Colorado River, all the way down it. And that mm-hmm. alone was something that very few uh, white people had done successfully and like recorded and not died trying or anything. It was a pretty big deal to pull it off and not have to bail part way through and stuff. And mm-hmm. so his doing that as just like a small part of the beginning of his story. Like, oh, while I was running the entire length of this river, I, <laughs> I found all this stuff. That's so true. And, um, and they're trying to make the argument for why that was actually made total sense that he wouldn't have reported that much on it because that would have been something that would have been a really that would have brought a lot of attention to him. And mm-hmm. then people would have found his discovery, and that would have screwed things up. Mm-hmm. So um, it does seem like there are still people who believe this story and mm-hmm. want to defend the story against rational things like everything in the world <laughs> pointing against it. Yeah, uh, you know. And instead are like, no, it's totally real. That's just the conspiracy of the mainstream media and facts. Mm-hmm. Which I always find really funny when the conspiracy perpetrators are scientists or historians Mm -hmm. because what could possibly be gained from fields where the whole point is discovery uh, (laughs) to hide discoveries (laughs) it's true or fabricate false discoveries (laughs) i mean that one makes sense because you like it's there's glory to be found like oh we found all this cool stuff oh i guess that's true that's true that's true this is as far as people say oh it's really real but they're just pretending it's not they're hiding it from us Right. When you think of all the yeah. crazy shit that archaeologists guys, find exactly. different times and like, hey, check out all this cool shit we found. Or like, yeah, in the example you gave at the beginning, uh, here's some stuff we found we don't really understand, but it's really cool. Everyone should check it out. Right. Yeah. You you draw your own conclusions. We're not saying what it is yet. We don't really know. Period. But we found it and you can look at it. Here you go. Yeah. Ain't that neat? Exactly. <laughs> like, hey, here's this, this sarcophagus full of this weird black sludge. We're going to open it. Uh, well, that's the thing. That was like right at the start of his story, too. He's like, it's so prohibitive to get here. No one should try to come over here. Don't look in my room. Exactly. Do not. Caution. Crime scene. <laughs> no moms or dads allowed. I was like, all right, dude. Come on. If you really found something, you'd want to recruit like the whole world and get all the eyes on it. Everyone snap your cameras. Yeah. And again, 111 years ago, we would probably have heard a little bit about this. Just a little bit. This is the first I've ever heard of this. Remember remember that time we found out that Egypt was actually in the American Southwest and like everyone migrated everywhere all at once? Yeah, exactly. I would not be surprised if Ancient Aliens has talked about this, though, at some point. I would be amazed if they hadn't. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. They'd be like, you know, you never know. Could be. <laughs> yup. So, so that is that's our little adventure adventure time for you guys this Whew. week. Man, oh man. So before we wrap up this here episode and move on to the next, um, which we're not doing immediately, uh, before we just, <laughs> before we leave, should we uh, thank <laughs> another patron of ours? Oh, I dare say we should. Let us uh, fire up the old NCAAA device, which is, of course, a strange, otherworldly computer-type contraption that we built last year, and uh, we will switch it to the pander function. Uh, The patron appreciation neural dive for evaluation of risk setting. Yes. Which allows us to uh, mentally link by plugging our brains directly into the computer and determine which creatures in the world our patrons should keep an eye out for. 
So this week we will focus on Vikram from Lubbock, Texas. Alrighty, now let's uh, and let's plug yeah, let's on plug in this and, in. and focus on. Okay. Ugh. Ooh yeah. Focus on Vikram and let's right. see here. This uh, machine will generate whatever we need to see. Uh huh. And right, it focusing is going on Vikram. to two. The Gugwe. Gugwe. Oh weird! Gugwe. It fed Gug- out <laughs> differently for both of us. <laughs> Interesting. Um, for mine, it's saying that this is something like a Bigfoot-like creature with a canine sort of snout. Interesting. It's like a longer muzzle than your normal sort of Sasquatch-type thing. Uh, they're very aggressive, which is strange okay. for a primate. No primate on this planet is known for aggression. Just ask nope. any chimpanzee or gorilla. They are extremely peaceful. When they Definitely rip off faces, it is or a sign of baboons. love. Yeah. Uh, let alone an undiscovered one. Yeah, undiscovered ones definitely aren't aggressive. We know this for sure. Uh, leading some to believe it may be a misidentified werewolf-like creature. So, like, oh, you you thought you saw uh, some yes. kind of ape. It was Which obviously is, a werewolf, you idiot. I was going to say, werewolves and apes are actually very close in phyl- phylogenetic ancestry. Their their evolutionary history is, is paired at a pretty recent most common ancestor. Yeah. Basically, Vikram... Keep your eyes out for any extremely large, scary monster and that looks it, like a, a werewolf. But try and be sure whether or not it is some kind of ape-like creature or an actual werewolf. Uh, you need to watch out for the ape-like one, not the werewolf. Not the werewolf. That's true. We would have specified. Uh, the machine would have specified if you had to look out for werewolves. So that's a good point. Actually, you do have to only look out for Gugwe or Gugwe or Gugwe, G-U-G-W-E. Judgewe, I think it's Judgewe. Judgewe, yes. Yeah, there we go. Um, so uh, there you go. Be on the guard it. for the Judgewe. Watch out for the Judgewe. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Thank you, thank you very kindly. And uh, with that, I think we can unplug these beasts yeah, of our own. There we go. Um, but well, yeah, thank it, you, everyone. Thank you. And if you want to help support the show, we would appreciate it so much. At any level of support, you can get your name entered to have your own creature determined for you by the pander function on this particular machine uh at high levels you can get other cool stuff and yes as jake just said thank you guys very much we'll be back again sometime soon yeah hopefully another pretty soon i also want to add before we go that uh as of the time this episode is coming out i will have been on the original chicago pizza tour with friend of the show jonathan notek oh jonathan shout out that's uh, the guy from episode i want to say 83 our first october episode of 2019 and uh yeah if you're ever either if you live in the chicagolands area or if you ever have a chance to visit there i highly recommend checking out the prohibition tours which is his own brainchild and a really cool thing to do oh boy. or the chicago pizza tour he's a co-owner of that really good time um it was great to finally meet jonathan in person and uh just a really cool thing to check out and do you get to eat cool pizza and learn about the history of the different pizza styles so i highly recommend checking that out i'll post a link to both in this episode description and next time we're talking about cursed objects or spooky objects yeah so if you're in the mood for some of that well you can just check back in next time that's right we'll see you there bye bye Oh, God bless you and keep you, Mother McCree. Every sorrow cure 